Welcome to South Carolina Launch's CEO podcast, where we hear from CEOs on their entrepreneur experience. Welcome to another episode of the SE Launch CEO podcast. I am Steve Johnson, an investment manager with SCRA. Our guest today is Joel Edwards, CEO of Humimic Medical. Uh, Joel uh, and I go back uh, actually five years. I had been with SCRA about a month when I was introduced to Joel. He has a great story about not only uh, building his business, but moving his business. And uh, Joel, tell us, um, you know, your story and your journey of Humimic, and not only Humimic Medical, but also its predecessor as well, and your decision to make a major move. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, and it's good to to talk with you here, Steve, about this. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we have kind of that interesting story per se. It's kind of one of those things where you know, we weren't looking to do something like this. And I don't want to say we fell into it, but in a way we kind of fell into it. So, you know, back in 2010, um, me, uh, I was working a full-time IT job and my wife even was still working uh, a dermatology job in the, in the medical lab. And a, an idea that we had was to start making a ballistics gel, just kind of as a side thing, nothing, that was going to turn into what it has today, but just something kind of to play around with. And, um, you know, the one thing that IT people are really good at is Googling things, figuring things out, don't come from a chemistry background, um, never even graduated college. So a lot of the things that, that I've learned were what we always call kind of the school of hard knocks. And you just try something and then you eventually try figuring it out and, and actually making it work. So when we started this company, it was the sole factor of focusing on ballistics gel and working with the defense industry. And early on, and these were things that we really didn't realize or connecting the dots early on, a lot of medical customers were contacting us. You know, your, your Johnson and Johnson, your Edwards Life Science, your uh, Medtronics type companies were contacting us and buying stuff. And you know, a lot of that was always done over email because, you know, I was still putting in a 40, 50, 60 hour work IT job and then doing this in the evening and on the weekend. And it took about five to six years to where we finally started trying to connect the dots a little bit. And there was a, a doctor, his name is Dustin Morrow. Um, or Dr. Morrow, one time reached out to me and I was actually in Las Vegas at a defense style show and uh, he wanted to talk to me so bad. He's like, I'm driving, but I'll pull over right now and talk with you. And he goes on and on. He's like, hang up the ballistics thing, really focus on the medical side of things and really put your attention to that. He goes, I think you really have something here. And I'm, I'm just listening to this guy go on and on and on. And we had some really important meetings set up at this show that were waiting on me to hang up with him. And I finally hung up. I looked to the other two guys that I was with. And I was like, this guy is nuts. What is he talking about? The medical industry, medical shows, medical this. I'm like, uh, we're, we're, we're still trying to swindle these big fish and still trying to get our, our product used by more defense industry companies. Um, and that's really where it lied. 
Joel, why don't you give us an idea of what ballistics gel is and what it's used for? Yeah. So typically ballistics gel has always been used to simulate something living. It could be human or animal. And the concept really was driven from um, if uh, an object makes contact with something living, how does that object perform? Um, what's the characteristics? You know, is it fatal? Is it not fatal? So as you can imagine, a lot of gun industry uses it quite heavily on that front than a lot of the defense side. Um, and a lot of times what they're measuring is the penetration of that object. You know, if it's an IED going off, you know, did you have enough armor on to potentially save that soldier? Uh, you know, or how far does it go? It, you know, how far did that projectile or object go beneath the skin and would have that have been fatal? Um, so that was typically where ballistics gel has always been used was definitely for objects um, and how far do those objects really go in. And then, you know, in the gun industry, it's really too, comes down to like wound channels. Um, once again, it's kind of how does that bullet perform once it makes contact with tissue? But the, the basics of what you developed and the proprietary formula you developed for the ballistic side, you began to see, based upon the input that you were getting, could have application on the medical side as well. So what, what does that look like? Yeah, so the, the kind of the one things that we really didn't realize when we were creating this gel, you know, once again, we were so focused on the big fish, you know, working with the government agencies and things like that. And when we were making these gels um, and where Dustin Morrow seen a lot of potential is whenever he used it on ultrasound, um, the gel had kind of the exact same acoustic properties as a real body has. So when you're doing a scan, you know, it's, it's not par for one for one, but the imagery that you're seeing on your ultrasound screen is really lifelike. Um, the acoustic density of the gel acts a lot like um, a real person. And some things that we found out later as time went on is even at the speed of sound. Um, that our gel almost mimics the exact same speed of sound as our body when you're hitting it with ultrasound. So for us, the ultrasound market is that, that kind of that holy grail per se of using our material to do that. Now, what we started developing is we were reached one time by a company called Gore-Tex and they said, hey, can you make us some softer gels? We have some mechanical testing we need to do with a new device. And, you know, and dumb me, I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and ideally, what we ended up creating was our whole medical line based off of what they were needing at the time. And so we took our base recipe, and then we just made it softer. And once again, it was kind of these things that we didn't realize what we were creating. And what we ultimately created with these other softer gels is more regionalized uh, parts of the body. So typical ballistics gel is an overall comparison of a body. It's not an arm, a leg, a torso, a foot, a hand. It's a overall comparison. But with these more precise gels, now we can target more 
uh, regionalized. If you're trying to simulate uh, the fat right underneath your skin or right underneath your dermis, um, if you're trying to simulate heart, lung, brain tissue, fat tissue, breast tissue, um, muscle, now we have more regionalized gels that will do that. They're all still ultrasoundable, but the other facet with these gels is they have a lot of the mechanical properties as real tissue has. And some of the key aspects of using this is now you don't have to use cadavers all the time. Um, you don't have to use animals per se, even for, for developing a new product or testing on these things. So, you know, we're, we're just kind of one of these avenues now where when an engineer or a company is developing a product, they can use our gel to simulate that tissue, run all of their maybe preliminary experiments. If it's going into the boardroom, um, they can take it into the boardroom. If they're traveling throughout the world, there's no export controls on our gel. And that was really a big game changer because traditionally you always have to keep a cadaver in a more chilled environment. You have to be humane to the cadaver. And then in turn two, anything bigger than a dime size has to be accounted for. And with our product, you can leave it on a bench. You can throw it in the trash when you're done. You can travel once again throughout the world with it. So that was some of the big things we started seeing changing with our gel versus um, that kind of that old way of doing things always with cadavers or, or even animals. So Joel, one thing that I have been amazed at with Humimic and your leadership is the sophistication that you have gone from just having a gel that simulates skin into more real, realistic limbs, if you will. Talk about that journey. Yeah, so that's been a, a longer journey for us. Um, you know, when we started this, we were doing this out of the garage of our house. Um, we overtook almost a thousand square foot of our house from our garage to the lower basement. And then we finally realized that we needed to move into an actual facility there in Arkansas. And, you know, we upgraded into about a 2000 square foot facility. And once again, we're still working full-time jobs. So a lot of things that we were doing was always limited by time, resources, or um, knowledge. Um, the big thing with resources is me and my wife had good paying jobs, but um, we don't come from money. Um, anything that the company was doing, we are in theory putting on credit cards or taking that money and reinvesting it back into the company. And remember, all this was started with $10,000 that we put on a card, on a credit card. Um, so, you know, we didn't have avenues to go ask for money. We didn't, you know, when we were trying to do our first silhouette of a torso, we started getting quotes um, and they were telling us tooling charges were $20,000 to get one tool made to make one part. And that was just kind of mind blowing to me because how if we got it wrong? Um, that has always been our thing is you, you know, if you get it wrong, you try again, but at $20,000, there was no getting it wrong at that point. So for us, moving into the arms and lips things has been a huge journey. I would say it's probably been a seven to eight year journey for us. Um, a lot of it, like I said, was always that money or skill set. And it's allowed us, as the company has grown over the years, you know, our revenue has increased, our demand from our customers have increased. And that's what's allowed us really to... Uh, 
kind of venture out and hire the right talent. Um, so two years ago, we started hiring consultants from the special effects or the movie industry to come in and actually help us make lifelike limbs at this point. Um, so we were taking body casts of our interns or just people that would be willing to allow their body to be cast. And um, from there, we're able to incorporate silicones, resins, and then also our proprietary gels that we've made. And with this combination, then now we're able to, to kind of go to that next level. Um, you know, our product never does a great job of skin. That's where silicones really excel at is simulating skins. So now we're able to give that skin likeness um, that looks extremely real, but then in turn, the cosmetics behind it now are our ballistics gel or our medical gels that simulate the, the soft tissue that makes up a, a body as of today. And I, I, I will just uh, put a point in here. When Joel says that he reached out to the special effects community, he's actually brought uh, that kind of talent on board. And I can tell you the realism of his wounds is extremely realistic. Uh, you, you would look at that and some people may actually turn their head away, but that's, that's the kind of training that EMS or medical school, school students need to really see because that's representative of, of what they will see in the real world, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, both of those, the, the model you keep talking about is what we're considering our tourniquet or our task trainers. Um, they teach you how to put a tourniquet on. They teach you how to uh, wound pack. And as we can see with the world changing as much as it is and the things going on, that these type of things are now needing to be taught through all ages. And that realism is really what kind of hits home. You know, if you're, you know, playing around and you're just putting it on a PVC pipe with some foam on it, and there's no realism to that of looking like a limb, nor does it bleed like a limb, or when you apply the proper pressure, does it stop bleeding? When you're thrown into that real life event, um, you might freeze because now it's no longer a PVC tube. And that's really what we try to do. Um, it can be kind of maybe on the gory side of what pe some people uh, would view or see. Um, but that realism is really kind of what hits home of when you're maybe unfortunately having to apply a tourniquet or pack a wound um, at that point. And that's, that's really the, the concept of what we're trying to do. And there's tons of companies out there. Um, there's companies out there that, you know, there's one called a sausage and it's just a roll with some, some knife slash in it and some gunshot wounds in it. And it just doesn't hit home because, you know, the feedback that we get on things like that is, well, when you're trying to put a tourniquet on, you know, usually a leg isn't perfectly cylinder, you know, eight inch wide leg you know, there's, it it's, has some shape to it. It's not always easy to find where that tourniquet should go and actually to stop the bleeding. And that's been our big challenge and our goal is to bring realism to the market, but then in turn too, at a realistic price, not these inflated prices. So Joel, you mentioned earlier about your starting the company in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Tell us about your uh, decision to move to Greenville. 
Yeah. So it was a decision that was in the works for many, many years. When we started the company, you know, we started this out of our house. And when I thought, you know, all the proper things to do was to go and get a business license. And, you know, it still resonates to me with this day. I went down to the city of Fort Smith, Arkansas and applied for my business license. They first told me no. So I pushed back and the lady eventually told me you're allowed to have one piece of paper, a pencil, a printer and a computer, and that is it. And if we catch you doing anything, you know, you will lose your business license and get fined. And that really didn't set well with me of being a business friendly um, city uh, or even state. And so the kind of the mindset really started from there is, you know, if we do something here, we're going to have to do this secretively. Um, and it really turned into a real big secret. I, I don't think the city ever really knew what we were doing or how well or how large we were growing. And with that said, there wasn't any support from the city or the county um, within Arkansas. And it was very limited, even within the state. Um, they even had a World Trade Center and uh they were very limited on the information that they were able to give. So we were actually going to Florida at this point, almost every month looking at property and looking to relocate everything to Florida because me and my wife love Florida. And, you know, with us being a manufacturer slash e-commerce, we could really go anywhere we wanted to at that point. And that's when I remember talking with Dr. Morrow and said, hey, you know, what does it take to work with you? And at that time, um, we were told that we would have to work with one of the local hospitals here um, because of the way uh, things were structured at that time. And that's when I started coming to Greenville, um, was to meet with the hospital, to talk with, with uh, Dustin about our, our ideas, our inventions, the things where things needed to go. And Dustin was going to be a very crucial part because we could engineer stuff, we could figure out stuff, but if we didn't have an MD that actually used this stuff and understood this stuff, um, we were still very, very lost. So the whole concept of coming to Greenville wasn't really planned. Um, it was really planned to go to, to Florida. And a lot of times when I was leaving here, I was on a plane going to Florida right after Greenville. Um, so once again, the idea was to get out of Arkansas. Um, they, once again, they weren't very business friendly there and Greenville kind of rolled out the, the carpet, you know, talking with, you know, with you at SCRA, Upstate Alliance, um, some people, uh, you know, Aneta, um, I think is how you say her first name, Patel down in, in, um, commerce in Columbia just really made us feel at home. And a lot of the questions and things that we were battling in Arkansas, you guys had the answers for. And that was really a nice welcoming experience because we weren't getting that even in Florida. Um, you know, Florida probably would have been a lot like Arkansas, but maybe the difference was, is we had the beach and somewhere where we really wanted to live. Um, but here, I mean, you were talking with you for, you know, and, and you said it was the first month you were there and I didn't realize that because you knew so much of the things that we were really looking for and were wanting at the time. And that's what really sold us on Greenville. And, um, when, when the hospital heard that we were looking at re relocating to, to Arkansas, from Arkansas to Florida, that's really when they said, hey, how about 
coming to Greenville and that's when stuff started really getting in motion of uh, buildings, kind of bringing the wife here to look at stuff and, and really starting to explore uh, Greenville at that time. That's a great story and, and we love having you here. As you look back from starting at Clear Ballistics and then moving and, and moving it into Humimic from going from Arkansas to South Carolina, Joel, what are some of the challenges that you have faced and, and how have you overcome them? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the biggest challenges um, have always been you know, doing a startup and doing a startup, you know, being very bootstrapped and, you know, growing something like that makes it definitely a challenge. You know, resources has always been our biggest hindrance of our growth. You know, we know we have something special. We know we have something, but there's that kind of that saying that Sam Condurus taught me one time is, you know, we eat what we kill. You know, we don't have that special piggy bank where we can go tap in and, and go blow a thousand dollars on advertising or a hundred thousand dollars on advertising. We methodically have to think about what we're doing and how we're going to spend our money because there's not a lot of plan B's uh, for us, especially when it comes to resources. So that's been um, a, a, probably one of our bigger challenges on that front is, but it keeps you hungry. I mean, it keeps you going. You know that you got a, you got people now that are, that work here, that you got to keep sales coming through the door, regardless of what's going on in the economy or in the environment. Um, so that's always been the big challenge. I think, um, I think some of the other challenges and, and I know South Carolina is, is definitely trying to make a change on that. Um, the, I think the next big thing for me has always been, there seems to be a lot of resources within South Carolina. Um, but for smaller guys trying to grow to become bigger, those resources really start to shrink down and maybe sometimes become non-existent. And I know the new, uh, I think it's the Secretary of Commerce talked about that and is trying to potentially fix how that really works. And, you know, I think if it wasn't really for SCRA, um, you know, it would be a, it would have been a hard sell for us to even come to the state because SCRA, I mean, you guys stepped up for everything. And I've said this several times, everything that you guys have ever promised has, has come true, or you guys have always fulfilled what you guys said you would do. And I know that becomes more of a challenge when you're talking about state agencies or even county agencies, maybe some of their hands are tied and it always kind of seems to be of how many people we're going to hire or how many jobs we're going to create. It always kind of seems to be for those bigger guys. So that, that does make it a, a bigger challenge for us to grow is you kind of hope that you can rely on maybe some of these state or, or local agencies for help. Um, but a lot of times what I've been told is we're just not big enough. And, and that doesn't deter me um, just because I'm very a determined person to get what I want and, and get to that point. But it does make it a challenge on that side um, of, of figuring out things. I think that's been the two big things, you know, the, the next biggest thing um, that we've been battling recently has been probably the, the employment side of things, you know, for offering people jobs, um, you know, we, we pay a very competitive wage, but in turn too, um, everyone else is. So, 
you know, you're just one fish in many um, ponds at that point. And that, that's now becoming a challenge for us on that front. Um, but I think that's been kind of the, the three big things right now that has been going on for us personally. Um, you know, if I went back all the way to Arkansas, it's a whole slew of things that I could really go on and on about. And, you know, a lot for us, we have learned the hard way from international business to domestic business to how things really work. Um, sometimes they're costly mistakes. And then other times they're, you know, it's, yeah, they always seem to be costly mistakes, I should say, um, on that. Joel, when you think about SCRA, what comes to mind when you think about the impact and value that that relationship has been to you and to Humimic as you have grown? Yeah, um, I, I'll personally say this, and I don't think I've ever even probably even told you this, is I don't think if we got the first grant with you guys to relocate to the state, I don't think we could have afforded it to even come to the state um, at that point. Um, because that was a, that was a huge, huge help, um, on that front. So, you know, the, the grants have been very, very helpful of our growth, but in turn to put the money aside. I mean, we, we would have figured things out. I, I know you personally, Steve, and, and, uh, every time that an issue has come up, if I email you or call you or text you, you're about the only one that will say, let me see what I can do. Most other people want to lecture me and tell me how I made a foolish mistake. Others will, will just say, I'm sorry to hear that, but you've been the only one that any issues that have come up and they've been some pretty big issues that have come up and you're like, Hey, let me see what I can do. And I would, if I, if my memory serves me right, it's usually within 24 hours, you start to have solutions or at least pointing me in the right direction of, Hey, I think you should talk to this person. I've kind of advised them at what's going on. I think they could give you some insight. And to me, that's a huge thing. Like once again, put the money aside. That's, that's been very appreciative and helpful, but it's the knowledge. It's the resources that you personally offer to, to our company that go the extra mile that you can't really put a price on. Well, you're very kind to say that, but uh, SRA really likes to uh, believe that we bring that network to every one of our companies and that many times you will have problems that come up that you've never faced before that we have seen before with other companies and we say, okay, what happened then and how can we make a solution happen here? So we, we are just very proud of what you have accomplished. So as you look to the future, uh, what does the future look like for Humimic and uh, your growth pattern? Yeah. So I think what we've been officially in state for, I think it's going on three-ish, maybe four years now. Um, when we first met you, it was only me and one other guy, my brother-in-law, Junior. So there was two of us running both of the companies out of Arkansas. And since we've been here, um, I believe we're up to 13, maybe 14, 15 people now. I lose track of how many people are up. So our growth is, is huge. You know, the medical side is growing anywhere from 300 to 400% year over year. 
our defense industry side of our business is growing about 35 to 40% year over year right now. So for us, I don't want to say the sky is kind of the limit and we're in control of our destiny, but in a way we are, um, you know, the more that we feel that we can do, you know, definitely it's always driven around cash and capital and things like that. Um, so as larger as we're growing, now we're able to take more of those resources and to invest it into bigger projects or to other things to make the side grow. Um, we definitely feel our medical side, as you can see with the percentages, we, we definitely feel like the medical side is where our future lies for us. Um, the defense will probably always be there, but the medical side is definitely where we're wanting to take things. We have about 35 some odd projects in the pipeline that we would like to work on. Um, a lot of those always kind of come down to resources or capital on that side. But, you know, last year we released six new products. I think right now we're on track to delete between four to six again this year. So for us, it's, it's continued to involve listening to our customers, keeping an eye on the economy, and then in turn to fixing or bringing products to the market that people actually want to use and can actually afford is the other big thing for us. Well, Joel, uh, the Humimic story is one that uh, SERA is extremely proud of. We're extremely proud of what you and Alex and your team have done there. The continued expansion of your product line. We are so thrilled that we were able to play a part in your moving from Arkansas to South Carolina. And we look forward to continued growth and expansion. Uh, we appreciate your being our guest today. It was great hearing, again, the humimic story. I'm sure it will ring true to a lot of people in the audience. And we look forward to working with you uh, onward uh, and upward. Thank you. Well, thank you again. Yeah, we've really enjoyed it. So thank you again. <laughs>